John Clayton. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. Streaming live at 710sports.com. On demand everywhere on the 710 Seattle Sports app. Now, John Clayton. Good morning, everybody. Made it through another weekend. Boy, boy, the skies right now are just so strange because now that smoke is back. I was just checking the AQI and it was like 66, which is moderate. But boy, it just seems like there's, you know, more fog, smoke, and you can imagine. I haven't been outside to be able to smell it or whatever it's going to be, but it just looks so strange. The sun's not burning it off and all that stuff. So uh, it's a very different time. But of course, we got plenty of stuff going on right now with the baseball playoffs. Certainly WNBA, of course, going tonight with the Storm trying to get the championship and some football, if you want to call it that, last night. So let's get into the five biggest stories of the day. Number one. Jordan's really stiff. He's he's not going to make it this weekend. Uh, just, just needs to swell up enough. And it's not too bad, but but it just wound up being really stiff. Uh, Jamal is is not ready yet. Um, he, he won't make it, which uh, you know we'll miss the heck out of him. Um, Chris Carson uh, had a, had an excellent week. Practiced you know today and yesterday on Thursday and was able to uh, to really show that he was ready. He just bounced right back and. And uh, so we're really happy about that. So uh, the, the other guys that were that were nicked in the game are pretty much, you know, doing okay. Um, but we're going to lose a couple of them. So that's Pete Carroll talking with uh, Dory Monson on the Dory Monson Show and <clears throat> saying that, uh, you know, it doesn't look good for at least two players. You know, it looks like Jamal Adams is going to miss with the groin injury and uh, uh, Quentin Dunbar uh, really not looking too good with that knee. But it does look good for Chris Carson. Uh, yeah, we'll see more about Dunbar as today goes on. Nico Thorpe, Lano Hill didn't practice yesterday. Uh, Jordan Brooks is going to be out at least a couple weeks. It wouldn't surprise me if they put him on the injured list for three at least three weeks. But as far as other players, limited yesterday were Shaquille Griffin, Carlos Hyde, Dwayne Brown, Vincent Mayoa. Puna Ford and Cody Barton. It was a long injury list. 25 players made the injury list, but about eight of those on Wednesday were practicing full. But it does look like Carson does have a chance to go, which I think is kind of remarkable. You didn't expect that, you know, based on what that happened with that uh, gator tug or whatever you want to call it, gator wrap that uh, it goes. And we should find out sometime today the fine that Tristan Hill should be able to get. But nevertheless, I mean, a, not a healthy team going to Miami, <clears throat> but a team right now, I think you could look at it and say, okay, it's better than you thought because with the six to seven injuries that happened on Sunday, you didn't know if all those guys were going to miss. But it does look like Brooks and Adams not going to be able to play. Number two. Well, our philosophy's not changed, Tim. I mean, it really hasn't. Russ is playing terrific. We're clicking on all cylinders in a lot of areas. Uh, I'm pleased with what we were able to do two weeks ago with our balance against New England. You know, last week we rushed for over 115, whatever it was. But, again, some of the games that we're playing right now have kind of gone a little different way. But our philosophy hasn't changed. We're very comfortable and confident uh, that, that we can do whatever we need to do to win the football game. That's Brian Schottenheimer talking about there's no change in the philosophy, but I think you can see there's an upgrade in the options that are out there. And this team now has got more options to either have a running game, which I think might be the case against the Dolphins, or be a passing game, which has been the case in two of the first three games. But I think the big thing is they're letting Russ do more and letting Russ do more things early. And obviously the goal each week is to make sure that you have more than 100 yards. It was 154 against the Patriots. Uh, They did pass more than 
they ran on Sunday against the Dallas Cowboys, which was understandable because the uh, Cowboys were down two starting cornerbacks and were very vulnerable to the pass game and really, in some cases, had no way to do it. I think that uh, what you're looking at is that uh, Russell Wilson now has the potential to have two 1,000-yard receivers because DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett are that good. You know, they've got tight ends four tight ends that can really play the game. But, of course, the running game is what they want. And I would imagine in a game like this against Miami, where they really struggle to uh, you know, both pass, defend, and also to run the football, uh, stop the run, you know, this is one where I think they can put up some pretty good numbers and try to win. You know, They need an easy win. And, of course, I don't know if they're going to be able to get it with all the injuries. And, of course, going all the way to the East Coast, going to Miami, one of the longest trips they're going to have, You know, playing in 85, 86-degree heat and all that stuff. Stuff, chance of maybe some wind and maybe a little bit of rain like they usually have in the afternoons in, down in Miami. But nevertheless, the offensive philosophy right now, you have to say, is looking pretty good. Number three. So Adam Schefter is reporting, and I can also confirm that two more Titans tested positive for COVID. We know we've all been keeping an eye on this. The league obviously has been as well. Uh, they're obviously not out of the woods just yet. As we now know, that's about a total of 12 people now with the Tennessee organization. And the problem is they're preparing for Buffalo now, right? We know the game was postponed this weekend against the Steelers, and they cannot get back into the facility until players and members of the staff stop testing positive. So there's obviously a cluster there. There is a problem there in Tennessee, and right now they got to continue to hope that more tests come back negative. But as of now, Adam Shepard reporting two more people on the Tennessee Titans team tested positive today. Yeah, this is getting pretty scary because now you're up to about, what, six, seven players that have tested positive, and the fact that this thing is still spreading, even though supposedly the players aren't around each other and all that. And so what you're wondering is, okay, what... What is going wrong? I know that the Players Association and the NFL have representatives down in Nashville to try to look to see what is going on. But, uh, you know, this thing now has, of course, caused the move of the game because what they did announce is that the Steelers-Titan game has been uh, postponed. And what they are going to do is take that game and put it at Week 7, move Baltimore and Pittsburgh back to Week 8. And so that's going to be at the end of October and early November. And so those that's been already taken care of. But now what you start to wonder about is that uh, you know your players are getting flu-like symptoms they're still testing positive and this now could affect next week's game uh, where they have the Titans and the Buffalo Bills you know two teams that are also undefeated so this is a, a strange stretch right now for the Titans and something has to be figured out because you know the league is now making sure there's even more strong penalties against any kind of bad thing. For example, what they did today is said that uh, if you're going to be on the bye week, in any bye week, no team is allowed, no player is allowed to leave town. No coach is allowed to leave town. You have to be tested every day. If you miss a test, it's going to be a big fine. If you miss a second test, you're going to be suspended. And so uh, they're coming down hard. They're also making sure, like with the case of the Raiders, that uh, you don't have the uh, event that Waller had, which of course was a charity event, and everybody was there with nine players or so without masks. So the league is really trying to come down on this because at this stage, the Titans are really in a difficult situation. Number four. Gordon, eight yards behind him. Play fake for Rippon. Protection's pretty good. Rippon loads it up, throws a deep ball to the right side. That ball fought for and caught. Jerry Judy backs into the end zone. Touchdown, Denver. 48 yards. Rippon to Judy. Judy's first touchdown in his NFL career. 
Well, Jerry Judy made the good plays, but there wasn't a lot of good play. But it was a 37-28 to victory for Denver over a bad Jets team that I, I still now start to wonder, as much as I like Adam Gaze, how he keeps his job. I mean, Adam just, you know, here, here he's got Sam Darnold. And uh, Darnold was 23 for 42. Dropped back, I think, what, 50-some times to throw the football. Had only 230 yards and no touchdowns. I mean, everything that was all field goal drives. And, of course, Adam was there, brought there to at least work with Sam and get that better. It's not getting better. You know, uh, only one touchdown drive or what it was. It was just just horrible. Uh, Brett Rippian did a good job, 19-31 for 242 yards, but also threw a couple interceptions. You know, to Pierre Desir, the uh, former Seahawk, who had a horrible game. Desir was beaten eight times for 134 yards, but he did get a pick six. But nevertheless, Denver gets its first win. The Jets, in the meantime, had six personal foul penalties on defense and to a point where it was so bad that the head coach, Vic Fangio of Denver, didn't even want to shake the hand after the game or even see Adam Gaze. Bad game for the Jets. They're looking horrible. Number five. Somebody hitting a long home run and having fun. Tatis, he's going to lead Center. He's done it again. Another home run, and the Padres add to their advantage. So the Padres had an 11-9 victory uh, over the Cardinals, and so that forces Game 3 of that National League series. Two National League series came to an end. The Braves beat and swept the Reds. The Dodgers swept the Brewers, no surprise there. And then the A's in the American League defeated the White Sox in that Game 3, and so now they get to play the Astros, and that for the... you know, at the A's, that's going to be, you know, there was a first winning playoff series for the A's since 2006. Cubs and Marlins, meanwhile, they'll have to resume play because they were postponed because of weather. And so that National League series, Game 2, is going to be continued uh, as they had the rain yesterday that postponed things. Listen to the show via the 710 Sports app. It's powered by the Dubin Law Group. Coming up next, we're going to go on to further review and talk about what we heard from Brian Schottenheimer about how the offensive philosophy hasn't changed, but it sure looks different. John Clayton Show, 710 ESPN Seattle. Under further review with John Clayton. We'll review the play. So, of course, uh, Brian Schottenheimer and his Zoom press conference yesterday talking about the offensive philosophy hasn't changed, but I think what you're seeing, it's, you know, it, it's improved. And what I mean by improved is that there's not more creativity, but more ability to kind of adjust to the opponent that's there. You know, I, go, I like, for example, last year when you go into week two, the Steelers were a blitzing team. And so the, the Seahawks had to make some adjustments in what they wanted to do offensively. But uh, you go the opening game, uh, Atlanta was inferior at the cornerback position. So they end up dropping back the pass 38 times and running the ball only 20 times. And they were able to get the points and win that football game. Then, of course, here comes the Patriots with three of the best coverage cornerbacks in the league. And so what the uh, team did was run the ball more than pass. It. That was good, you know, and you can see last week because of the problems that the Cowboys have at their cornerback position, it was just better to throw the ball more, but still mix in enough runs to be able to get over a hundred yards. So it's a different, not a different philosophy, but I think it's you know more in a week by week basis to figure out what to do. That was certainly a topic uh, about Brian Schottenheimer with Danny and Gallant. There were a lot of things last year where you look at now where they are, and you're like, yeah, this is a continuation of last year. But last year, I think there were real question marks about this offense, and they still made it work. I've never had a question about the plays or the calls that Schottenheimer makes. I've had a question about the 
the the overall design or architecture of the offense. The question I've had is that I felt he was given the orders that we're going to be a 50-50 run pass team. And you can do that however you want. And when you pass, we want to throw deep. We don't want to have we don't we don't we don't want to have a lateral passing game. We don't want Sam Darnold not throwing the ball down the field. But we're going to run the ball 50% of the time. And I thought within those constraints, Schottenheimer did an incredible job. I, I thought it was really good. In the same way that I've felt that it's Pete Carroll's defense at times and any criticism of that, I felt the same way about the offense in that, hey, the debate about whether they should throw no, more or not is on the head coach. It's not on the guy who's calling the plays. Like, he's responding to the parameters that have been set down about how they're going to play. I see a difference in the offense this year. And I think I've learned more about Schottenheimer this year and believe that not only can he do a good job executing Pete's vision for a balanced 50-50 run pass, I think if you ask him to drop an offense in the sort of modern sense, in the we have to throw it 50 to 55 times a game, that what what teams like New Orleans and and what what Kansas City, I, th- I think he's great at it. I, I've really been impressed with the things that they've done. The, I, I think DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett are incredible receivers. But I, I also think that you look at the efficiency when they throw down the field to him. Like some of that, some of that's not just the transcendent play or the connection between Russell and Tyler Lockett. It's the fact that the stuff that they draw up gets those guys open enough that even when you're throwing the ball down the field, you're having a high percentage uh, of connections play out. I want to go back to something you said a little earlier that you are seeing something different out of Brian Schottenheimer. Yesterday at Brian Schottenheimer's press conference, he said that despite how games have gone early, our philosophy has not changed. Shenanigans. Shenanigans. Yes. That's, I don't buy that at all. That Whether you want to say their philosophy has changed, they do want to run the ball and pass the ball equal times. But it's not the, they're not approaching it the same. Last year, they would establish the run. They, they would be 50-50 run pass in the first half. That's not how they're playing this year. That, that's not – they're playing to take a lead, and that is different than how they played on offense last year. And when I look at it, I think what you come down to it, this is the third year that Brian Schottenheimer has been the offensive coordinator, and I think both he and Russell Wilson have grown together and have grown to be on the same page. You know, cuz you know Russell didn't mind everybody saying let Russ cook, but what they wanted is okay, what's going to be on the menu? And certainly what's on the menu and you can see it's coming out this year, it's not run run pass, run run pass, run run pass. You know, you've got a little bit of a quicker tempo in the first three quarters of the game, particularly in the first quarter. You've got more first down, second down type passes. And it's working from the standpoint that uh, in a league right now where you offense is ruling and you got some of the best offensive numbers in NFL history, uh, that quarterbacks can dictate things more. And so, you know, and really, in, and I guess in retrospect, when you talk about the idea of Brian Schottenheimer changing the offensive philosophy, I think what they're, he's doing is adapting to what you're allowed to do now when you have a quarterback as good as Russell Wilson. You know, with Russell being either right up there with Patrick Mahomes and himself as the top two quarterbacks in the league. And clearly, despite the great start of the Kansas City Chiefs, you'd have to say that Russell is the MVP right now because of how he's carrying the team and how he's doing. But I think what you're seeing is, you know, 
they're on the same page in the standpoint. It's like, okay, Russ, you want to put more on your shoulders and put more on your arm to be able to do things? We'll do that. We'll let you make more audibles. We'll let you kind of run around. And the offensive line being a little bit better as far as pass blocking, even though, again, the sack numbers are still uh, high, three a game, you know, it's still one that it's like, okay, Russ had 3.41 seconds in the game against Dallas to be able to get the ball downfield. So DJ Wilder, it's like, uh, you know, I, I still, I think, you know, people were trying to think, okay, what's different here? What's different? I don't know if it's different. It's just better. Yeah, I think it's pretty much the same. I, uh, the only difference to me, John, is when these plays are being called. And that was what we've talked about, what the whole let Russ cook thing was all about, was, okay, the passing attempts don't need to go up. They just need to be more spread out, not happen in the second half of the third quarter through the end of the, through the end of the game. And that's what we're seeing. They're right, one of the top teams in early down passing, uh, passing attempts, excuse me. And, I, I think that's really the difference here is they still have a balanced attack. The last two weeks in each game, they've had at least 100-plus yards rushing to go along with Russell Wilson just tearing apart defenses. So, I mean, they're still, they're still establishing the run game just at a different time. Chris Carson's still having a good year. Carlos Hyde's been really good in, uh, in the backup role. And I don't see much difference with this offense other than just, yeah, like I think the development of Tyler Lockett and, of course, DK Metcalf has – has helped. Believe it or not, Russell Wilson has gotten better. He's always been great, but he has actually got still gotten better and better and better every single offseason of his career. That helps too. And I think Schottenheimer's just more comfortable being a play caller as well. And he's never had a quarterback like Russell Wilson at his disposal. Now that was kind of a bad thing, I guess you could say, when he was first when he first became the offensive coordinator. You know, they started out 0 and two in twenty eighteen against the Broncos and the Bears and they weren't they didn't really have an identity. He never had a quarterback like Russell Wilson because he's always been with Mark Sanchez, Nick Foles with the Rams and like Austin Davis, like quarterbacks like that. So he's never had a quarterback like Russell Wilson and right now Schottenheimer I think is so locked in. I mean, if the, if the Seahawks keep this up and maybe make it far into the playoffs, Schottenheimer could be up for some head coaching jobs here, John. Yeah, I agree with that. In fact, I think you raised a great point because you bring up the idea of offensive identity. And, of course, where everybody thinks about it, it's like, what's the offensive identity? Running the football? No, the offensive identity is basically having Russell Wilson run an offense. And you can see how well he can do it. I mean, he's now so into what to do on the field how to take advantage of some of the weaknesses of the opposing team's defense and just kind of saying, okay, let's, let's try this. Let's try that. And I think it also helps that uh, Brian Schottenheimer is in the coaching box upstairs. Now, again, he sits there alone, but he certainly <clears throat> has a great communication with Russell, but it also allows him to see things that they can talk through and say, okay, I'm seeing that they're doing this. We can try to do this. So I think it's just a it's a more well-developed type of offense. Yeah, I agree. And now we'll see what happens when they start going up against better defenses, how this really pans out. Because I think right now I, I don't know how long the early down pass will last, especially when they – when they go against teams with better defenses, like the Cardinals defense looks better. The 49ers defense, of course, even with all the injuries, their defense is still formidable. You know, the Rams have a great D line, but I think what, with how shoddy is calling the offenses here, I think what it allows for later in the season, because September football is never the same as December football. And I think the, with the way that they're showing off their offense right now is that they're, they are so versatile that they, they're going to be so hard to game plan come November and December. And, 
they're showing they can they can really do anything on offense, John. They they they. There, there, there are no holes on this offense, in my opinion. Now the tight ends, they will hopefully get more involved as the season goes along. But right now, they're setting themselves up so well for November and December to be so hard a game plan because they can show, okay, like we're, we can be more aggressive in early downs. Our passing game is so creative and so explosive, and we still and we still have this awesome running game. And Rashad Penny's not even back yet. So right now, their offense is becoming borderline unstoppable, and it's going to be. It's going to be even better come November. Yeah, no doubt. Hey, B, uh, tell your smart speaker to play 710 ESPN Seattle. Remember, you can always listen to 710 on your smart speaker or app. Coming up next, we'll t- check in with Stacy Rost. It's the John Clayton Show, 710 ESPN Seattle. It's John Clayton. Powered through the Alaska Airlines studio. Two hours every day, 10 to noon. Streaming live at 710sports.com. On demand on the 710 Seattle Sports app. And joining us is Stacy Ross. And so, Stacy, uh, you know, is there, how, how have we solved and kind of calmed down the panic in this town about the yards allowed? Because, again, I keep on emphasizing this is what's going on with the league in general. I mean, you know, the top teams in the NFC uh, all have the same issues as Seattle because nobody's playing defense. Sean, I would think that, except that there are teams that are playing pretty good on defense. I mean, Indy is allowing, I think, like around 250 net yards per game, which is less about half of what Seattle is allowing, which is 400. 97 net yards of game for three weeks. I want to say that people are calming down and we're all being rational and we're all being adults and we're all being like, okay, look, it's three weeks into the season, but we're not. We're freaking out. We're wondering what the heck is going on here, John. And actually, that's why I'm really excited to talk to you because, John, I got to know, do you think this is going to turn around? Yeah, yeah. I mean, because, you know, they're not facing two MVP quarterbacks and Dak Prescott, who's having record-setting numbers league-wide. And, you know, you bring up Indianapolis, which is valid. But remember, it's different in the AFC than it is in the NFC. In the NFC, you know, you have 13 experienced quarterbacks with more than three years of experience. Twelve of those quarterbacks have uh, been to the pro, I mean, have at least uh, making over $21 million a year. Uh, Nick Foles, of course, being the most recent, he's the 13th, and 11 of the quarterbacks have been to the Pro Bowl. And so uh, the Seahawks' schedule, which ironically, even though they had such a big start against Ryan Newton and Prescott, you know, uh, Mike Sando does this tier report. You know, he has four tiers, and technically uh, the Seahawks' schedule is considered to be the second easiest in football, Miami actually having the easiest. And the reason it's easy is the standpoint, of course, not easy at the start, but it's easy as they go for the final 13 games. And what happens is, I mean, you're taking on uh, quarterbacks like, and you watched them last night, uh, a quarterback in Sam Darnold that's getting nothing done on an offense that has no identity. You know, they're taking on Daniel Jones, who's averaging 16 points a game with the New York Giants. They take on uh, Dwayne Haskins. You know, they're taking on this week Ryan Fitzpatrick. And that's why I think this game Sunday is going to be a defining game in the sense that it's like, okay, if they give up uh, 30 points and 400 yards or so to uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick, then you know uh, something is really amiss. But I don't see that happening. Now, Fitzpatrick is one of those guys, John. The kid, the game could go either way. He could throw five touchdowns or four interceptions. I mean, he's got 
four touchdowns to three interceptions, looked awful in week one, and then looked maybe the best we've seen him look in years in week three in a win over Jacksonville. So I'm not really sure which version we're going to get. Obviously, we heard from Pete Carroll, who had his Pete Carroll show this morning uh, with our sister station, 973 Cairo, and he said that uh, Jordan Brooks would be out. I know we were all expecting that, John. Jamal Adams will be out. Did you see, you know, anything encouraging from some of those guys um, like Trey Flowers who filled in, Cody Barton who filled in, that gives you enough enough faith that they can get this done against Miami? Uh, well, we didn't see enough from uh, Trey Flowers because he had a horrible game. But I think what uh, you can see that, uh, you know, he can bounce back. But I also just look at what the Dolphins are as far as their team. I mean, again, Fitzpatrick, you're right. I mean, he can be an interception or a touchdown, but still – uh, that game against Jacksonville, the Jacksonville defense was so bad that, uh, you know, they, they didn't even look like a speed bump because, again, you know, he just rolled up and down the field, whether it's running the football, throwing the football, and that's Jacksonville. I mean, that's, that's a team that you know, went to a championship game a couple of years ago, and they've broken up the defense because nobody wanted to be there, and so now uh, they, they were just horrible. And so, you know, everybody's kind of rushing to the numbers. And, again, that's the AFC, but still overall, I mean, they're the 26th-ranked offense in football along with the fact that they're only scoring like 23.3 points a game in a league right now that uh, you're having record numbers 25.5 and for nfc teams 27.12 okay so john here's how this is going to work as you know on tom jake and stacy we have bold take friday trademark every single friday where we petition fans and listeners to send in their takes for the season or excuse me for that week I'm going to say that the defense is going to hold Ryan Fitzpatrick to X amount of yards. Mm -hmm. Now, if I say under 200, spoiler alert, I mean, hopefully people, you know, maybe weren't paying attention to that number I just put out. But if I say under 200, is that bold enough or should I go bolder? Uh I would go more of the points than anything else because let's say I'm kind of thinking this is going to be like a 27 to 10 game. And so then there are going to be some garbage yards in the second half, just like we've watched so far in a couple of these games that, uh, you know, because and it has allowed some teams to claw back and almost uh, win or be in one possession away from taking the lead. But again, I think they're going to be so far behind that uh, it's it can go. But I'd say right now, if they can hold to under 300, that's pretty good. John, I want you to know that I'm going to say that, and I will give you absolutely no credit. Okay. People will know that I took it from you, but I'm going to pretend it was mine. So okay, because we're friends, I can tell you that. One, one more thing here. Did you hear Ken Norton the other day talking about what he thinks part of the problem is with this defense? I uh, know. Remind me what he said. Okay, well, he had a couple things, but one of the things that I feel like Jake and Tom were taking issue with was Ken Norton Jr. saying, well, you know, we've got to adjust because obviously what happens is when you're so far ahead and teams are throwing, they're going to throw on you. And what Tom and Jake were saying is like, well, wait a minute. You're an NFL defense. Don't you know that you have to adjust? Don't you know you have to be ready? Are you buying that kind of excuse or are you looking at it more as, you know, it's a slow start. Guys are learning to play together. It's just going to come together eventually. Yeah, I mean, I I, I kind of side with Ken on this one. And the reason I yeah. side with Ken is, again, I'm just looking what's going on on the other 32 teams, but more so in the NFC. You know, again, if you're taking on a good quarterback, the quarterback, here's the advantage he has right now. 
they're having you know we're down 56 percent on holding penalties right <clears throat> and i have charted this now for many many years if you are a fish officiating group and a referee on a crew that's calling fewer holding penalties and also fewer penalties period scores go goes up and usually it goes up over 50 50 points total combined for a game that's I, I just been kind of a tried and true type of thing that I've seen. If there's going to be called more uh, holding penalties, what you then see happening is that uh, scores go down. And the reason is not only are you, you know, you put yourself on offense in a position that you're now first and 20, second and 15, you have a hard uh place to overcome and so that's going well and of course the other thing is defenses were pretty much in the third preseason game right now heading into the fourth they they haven't tackled they didn't have the preseason they didn't have the offseason and quarterbacks just have such a big advantage plus in the nfc there's so many good quarterbacks john i know that you're making me feel more comfortable you're making fans feel more comfortable about this so now comes my last most difficult and most important question for you are you ready okay go ahead Okay. I am a child of the fall. I'm so happy it's finally October. I mean, literally, I'm a child of the spring, but I love the fall. I'm very pro pumpkin spice. It's finally here, pumpkin spice lattes. Even though they've been available for a while, it's finally October. You can have them without shame. Are you a pumpkin spice latte guy? I am not. I am not a pumpkin oh. spice latte person at all. No, I'm. Yeah, and and that's that's the thing that's kind of sad is because uh, you know not getting out much. Uh, I'm I may be limited to like getting a latte uh, once every two maybe three weeks. Now there's an outside mm-hmm. chance I might be able to get one today because I have to take pack to the eye doctor, and so that could be oh. a consideration depending on the time it's going to take. But uh, yeah, but uh, you know I like mine, and I uh, I just like a 16 ounce latte with whole milk. I don't want 2% or anything like that. Well, give my best to Pat, John. And uh, we agree on so much that I will accept this difference between us. Okay. Well, that, that'll be fine. Again, no pumpkin latte <laughs> for me, but uh, it's, it's great. Hey, what are you having to show today? We are going to do our bold takes. Uh, we're going to open the show talking about Adam Gates. A bit of a fun conversation about coaching changes, potentially. And then we have a game show helping fans preview the Dolphins. Okay, well, that sounds good. That's going to be coming up at uh, starting at 12. Stacy Rost, thank you so much. Thanks, John. Okay, and uh, you know, be sure to check out the professor's notes on 710sports.com. The professor's notes are brought to you by Infinity of Tacoma at Fife. Coming up next, we're going to talk and get behind the lines, catch you up on the National Football League. John Clayton Show, 710 ESPN Seattle. John Clayton. Powered through the Alaska Airline Studios. On demand with the 710 Seattle Sports app. Well, the game was maybe a little bit better than expected on Thursday night. An 0-3 Denver team going against an 0-3 New York Jet team. But boy, what a bad game it was. It was still, I mean, two teams that are really struggling to don't have much hope this year. Now, part of the problem for the Denver Broncos is the fact that they got so many injuries. You know, Drew Locke, their starting quarterback, he's out. They lose their best player in Vaughn Miller. The right tackle, Elijah Wilkinson, he's out. You know, their injuries up and down the board to a point that uh, you're not as bad as, say, San Francisco for injuries, but you could have them in the same conversation. And then the worst part was 
watching the coaching of uh, Adam Gaze. As much as I like him, and I do stand by the fact that I do like him, I know he comes from the Mike uh, March school of coaching, uh, which yeah, that's the type of offensive mind that he has. But I'm just amazed, DJ, how bad he was. And from the standpoint, here you have Sam Darnold, who I thought was going to be a great quarterback, and he's not getting any better. In fact, how about the fact that uh, you know he only he had a nice touchdown run, uh, but he couldn't even throw a touchdown pass against a depleted Denver Bronco defense, and all he could do was settle for field goals. And then uh, you know you saw the mistakes that he made. You saw the mistake that Adam Gaze made, which I think was just terrible in the standpoint that okay. Uh, Mickey Mika Becton, the left tackle, first round pick. You know he had a bad shoulder, and so he came back and uh, he shouldn't have played. But what they did is that they started somebody else and had Becton as an emergency tackle. So if anything went wrong with an injury, he can go back on the field. What did he do? He went back out there and he got hurt in like the first or second play. And you're talking about an Adam Gaze who had uh, Le'Veon Bell stay on the field. Uh, four or five plays after he tweaked a hamstring. Now he's on injured reserve. Then you look last year, Camichios Amili was trying to be forced to go out there playing when he's hurt, and that ended up to him leaving. I just shake my head that uh, as much as I like Adam, how he still is coaching as a head coach right now. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to be mean here because I don't know the guy, but John, how does he still have a job right now? I mean, we're getting we'll, we'll kind of get we'll get into this later in the report card. But you know, Diana Rossini was saying this morning. I, Ian Rappaport was saying yesterday, like this game, his job security didn't hinge on this game, no matter the yeah. performance. And it's like, okay, if you're the Jets, I mean, the owner and the GM are the only ones that really think that he should still be the coach of this team. I don't, uh, John. I I'm just I'm so confused about what they're doing. Like you said, Sam Darnold hasn't gotten better last year. Of course, in his short career, he you know he's completed sixty-two percent of his throws. He only played in thirteen games, but he threw for three thousand twenty-four yards. He did throw thirteen picks, but he had nineteen touchdowns. He showed a little bit of promise. His passer rating was only eighty-four point three, so of course you want that to increase. But he showed some promise, and we were talking about this, I think, last week, um, week two. He had this throw where he's running to his left, back to his right. Completes a pass forty yards downfield. The guy has potential. He was great at USC, but. I just don't understand, like, if you're the Jets and you think Darnold's your franchise quarterback, how can you sit back and be and say, be saying, wow, Adam Gase, you know, like, he, he can still make Darnold better. He's shown now that he hasn't made him better no. whatsoever. No, exactly. And basically, they're wasting his career. And with an 0-4 record and a limited chance right now of getting many wins, I mean, they very well have wasted the career of Sam Darnold to a point where they may be bad enough with the first pick in the draft that they'll have no choice but to take Trevor Lawrence and then just get red on a trade of Sam Darnold. And here's the thing. Now, it might turn out Sam Darnold's just maybe he's not good. That that's always a possibility, John. But how can we know when he hasn't yeah. he's never had an offensive line. He has never had he's had decent receivers, I guess, but he's never had good receivers, definitely not great receivers. And he's never had a reliable running game. Le'Veon Bell wasn't that good last year. So how how can we know how good Sam Darnold is? Also, um, Talking of the Trevor Lawrence sweepstakes here, Mike Greenberg had a take this morning where if the Jets do get the number one pick, he thinks Trevor Lawrence should stay in school. What do you think about that? Yeah, that might not be a bad idea. It's like a, you know, or try to see if he can do a John Elway and force some kind of a trade. But then the, the question is going to be that, uh, you know, if they have the first pick in the draft, there's no way that Adam Gaze is going to be there. 
I no I way. Mean, I mean, just according to all these sources, like they're saying they're not going to fire him right now because they think he set Darnold back. Right now, he can't set Darnold back no. anymore. He can't. I mean, they came into the game averaging 12.3 points a game. Now, again, they have chased away too much talent. That's something that Adam has done in the different stops that he's had, both in Miami and New York, <clears throat> you know, because he gets mad at a player and it's like, OK, that player is going to go. And so uh, you can see that. But, uh, you know, now you look at that receiving core, nothing hardly there. You know, they're inferior at the tight end position. And then, you know, they made the I think what could be the mistake of trying to change your entire offensive line, four or five starters at a time that. You go ahead and, uh, you know, you have no offseason program. You know, you have no ability to have a preseason game, <clears throat> no OTAs, anything like that. You watch the struggles Miami has. You watch the struggles that they had last night. And and I know Miami doesn't have a lot of talent, but um, Danny and Glenn were talking about this earlier this morning, was that, okay, Miami is definitely not one of the best teams in the NFL, but they're a step ahead of the Jets right now, yeah. even though, honestly, <sighs> I mean, they do have more talent. They definitely were way more active in free agency. But like someone like Miami, who's really not expected to really be relevant, um, you know, of course, comparing to the Jets, who are in a big market, the Dolphins are already ahead of them. The Jets, I mean, the AFC East was up for grabs. I mean, of course, this is before the Patriots got Cam Newton. Now they kind of look like they're going to be contending still for first place. But I mean, we don't know how long Cam Newton will even be with the Patriots since he's only on a one-year deal. Mm-hmm. So, and the, this was this is an opportunity for the Jets to at least look like they can improve in the AFC East, and right now they're just getting worse. Also, on the other side, John, the Broncos, oh. I, I just it, it's unfortunate because I really thought they could be better. I didn't know if they would be a playoff team. Maybe they could be in the expanded playoff field, but the Broncos, I felt like could be better, especially because they were finally going to get Von Miller and Bradley Chubb to play together. Those two rushing from opposite sides, they're finally going to get them to play together. And then now Von Miller, of course, has a season-ending injury, which is so unfortunate. Drew Locke, who showed promise last season and was showing a, a little bit more promise also at the beginning of this season. You know, he's out indefinitely, and now they're down to their third quarterback after they didn't, they weren't really a fan of the performance of Jeff Driscoll. Now they're starting Brett Rippon from Boise State, and. I really thought they had a pretty decent team. You know, Cortland Sutton goes down with an injury, too. They could have had Cortland Sutton, you know, like guy like Deshaun Hamilton and Jerry Judy, the rookie wide receiver. They drafted K.J. Hamler out of Penn State, who a lot of people like, especially as a gadget player. I really liked this Broncos team going into the season before all the injuries, and it's just unfortunate to see that a promising dark horse playoff season really is kind of just going to the dumps now. Yeah, because I know I was trying to get a hold of uh, John Elway because I wanted to do a feature on him for what he did in the off season. You know, I think I thought that he got Jerry Judy, who you know still looks to be maybe the best receiver in this draft. I think right now C.D. Lamb. Uh, certainly, I know Van Jefferson is off to a good start in Minnesota after a good third week of the season. But I, I you saw the one catch that Judy made was sensational. But then what you look at it's the big picture with Locke out and you know Rippon in. You know, Rippon became the ninth quarterback since the departure of Peyton Manning to get a start. Nine. Yeah, it's it, it's been taking a while for John Elway to find the next quarterback, mm-hmm. and he, and he wasn't really finding the quarterback before Peyton Manning. No offense against Tim Tebow, he had a good season, but. Like you know, he was never the quarterback of the future, and he he has struggled. You know, he's gone through guys like you know Trevor Simeon, and you know all all guys like that. And it's just it, it's just 
unfortunate because they've they've had a lot of talent. Uh, you know, maybe not on offense because they're trying to they're really starting to figure out the wide receiver core, but on defense they've always had the talent and they just needed some sort of competent quarterback. And Elway just hasn't been able to find that after Peyton Manning or even before Peyton Manning. He didn't really have that type of quarterback that could really push them over the top. And back to the Jets for a second. I mean, the other embarrassment was what uh, Greg Williams was having done on defense in the sense they end up with six personal fouls. Six personal fouls that got so bad that, uh, you know, the head coach, uh, you know, of the, of the Denver Broncos decided, I'm not even going to go shake Adam Gaze's hands because, after the game because they took so many bad shots that could have risked injury that uh, he just took his guys and let's go into the locker room. We don't want to see these guys again. And what, what, what's new with Greg Williams? <laughs> you, yeah. know, you know, what's what's new with him? Everyone's saying like, oh, well, the Jessica fired Gase, and like Will, Greg Williams has been his great interim coach. Like, I don't. Why would you want him as an interim coach? Like, I get like, okay, he's had success, but you don't want him as your full time coach. I mean, I get like he's a decent defensive coordinator, but he he just carries so much with him, John. Mm-hmm. I just wouldn't want him anywhere near my team. Yeah, I mean, and I've always had a good relationship with Greg, but I'll tell you the in- interesting thing that some of the New York writers are bringing out is that uh, <clears throat> the, the choice instead of gaze was supposed to be Matt Rule. But then what ended up happening is ownership just said, oh, wait a second. No, Matt, who do you want to bring in as defensive coordinator? And he said, uh, well, I'm going to try to bring this guy in. He said, no, we want you to hire uh, Greg Williams. And so it's like, well, I'm not taking the job then. So it's like uh, he's, he ends up staying in college for another year. Now he's down in Carolina, and I think he's going to be a pretty good coach. And so then uh, they hire Gaze because he was, he was fine on hiring Greg Williams, even though you know his father-in-law, Joe uh, Vitt, <clears throat> didn't necessarily get along well with Greg. They kind of spat and all that stuff. And now you can see it's just a dumpster fire right now. Well, coming up, we're going to get a chance to check in with Seahawk running back Travis Homer, who gets the chance to go back to Miami where he went to school. It's the John Clayton Show, 710 ESPN Seattle.